0: Okay, so we are continuing with our halacha series of davening and some important Hasidic insights to certain parts of of the tefillah of the davening. Um, I wanna speak today about the obligation or the custom that many have to recite korbanot, to recite in the Sidur verses of the Torah, to recite in the Sidur, um, passages of Mishnayis that speak about the sacrifices that God gave us as the greatest mitzvah to offer daily in the Beit HaMikdash. And uh, as the Rambam writes, I'm quoting the Rambam because he's so misquoted, that when Moshiach will come, uh, one of the first things that Rambam mentions, what will return to Jewish observance will be the great mitzvah of offering sacrifices. Now I know that offering sacrifices, which means taking in most cases animals and slaughtering it and dismembering it and gutting it and throwing the blood and certain fatty parts of the animal on the altar, bringing fatty parts of the animal on top of the fire and burning it there. And then uh, the rest of it is something that we're familiar with. Many of us are familiar with eating meat, but few of us have witnessed the process from the beginning until the end. It's very messy. It's a messy process. Um, it was so messy that there was a drainage system that was built into the Beis Hamikdash using a natural uh, river that flows right near the Beis Hamikdash. And when we needed those waters, would enter the floor of the temple to wash out the remains of the animals which are a lot, even one animal, a large animal, if you shacht it here, the blood will spritz all the way on the wall over there. Out of Pesach, everyone's home is so clean, it was the messiest day in the Beis HaMikdash. There was so much blood on the floor of the Beis HaMikdash that Kochanim, who must stand on the ground, were not even allowed to stand on the ground because there's blood intervening their feet and the ground, so they built out of stone, connected to the ground stilts, That they would stand on. The stilts would be knee high. That means that you had uh, six inches of blood flowing on the entirety of the outer courtyard. People have no idea what that means. That means that a million animals were slaughtered. And I'm not exaggerating. And that's something that many people um, have a difficulty envisioning. It's even harder to see the spiritual meaning of it especially when we're living in a very confused times and people are seeing in animals what they should see in people, which is tragic. Not, God forbid, to disrespect animals or to hurt animals, but there's a certain amount of elevation that the animal or certain animals were given nowadays, right pre-Mashiach, which is very similar to old pagan practices that some of them go on in other parts of the world until today, where the cow was sacred, or the lamb is sacred. Um, that, that's what it is, and it's very unfortunate on many levels. But I want to speak about the great mitzvah of karbanis, and it's that important that um, even when we don't yet have the opportunity to do the mitzvah, we recite psukim and mesechayim of karbanis every single day, twice a day, before shacharis and before mincha. And I just want to open up by quoting a gemara in Megillah. That when God revealed Himself to Avram Avinu and He told him that He will have descendants that will inherit the land, Avram Avinu was married then only to Sarah. They were Sarah was beyond the years. She was after her childbearing years. That means that when God told Avram that he will have a child, it was God promising a miracle. And it was a big miracle. It took another 30 years for the miracle to happen, which made the miracle even greater. Or you can argue, what's the difference between a 70 or a 90 or a 100? It's all physically impossible, compounded with the medrash that says that Sada didn't have a womb. I mean, she didn't have the body parts that are needed to carry a child. But even taking that out, the age of her having a child was completely beyond nature. And when God told it to him, it says in the Chumash that he believed. And God, accounts that belief as a merit that stands for us. In the same breath, God told him that to your descendants, I'll give this land. To your Not you'll have children, period, and then another blessing for Israel. To your descendants, I will give this land. For the descendants, he believed. And for the land, he right away asked God, how will I know that they will inherit it? And that's a big kasha because if he was a man of faith, he should have believed in everything. If he was a, a man of, 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 who, who had challenges with faith, then he should have asked on everything. For children, he had a munah. For inheriting the land, he asked, So says the Gemara, that he was asking not whether God will give his descendants the land. He believed in that. That Amar Avraham, he told God, maybe at some point my descendants will be misbehaving. And he understood that in order to continuously have possession of the land of Israel, we have to be worthy of it. He wasn't that wrong. We were not in possession of the land for many years. So that's why he asked God, how do I know that they will inherit it? And when God, without getting into the details, God responded to him in the merit of bringing sacrifices. Tells Avram Avinu to God, very good when we have a temple. When we don't have a temple, then we won't have that merit. To which God responded, kanti lohem seider korbanot. I enacted to them in the Chumash, and in Mishnayis, the laws of Karbanis, calls, man, shakoid, whenever we read them, ma'ali, I will consider it, ki'ilu, ma'kriven, as if they are bringing in front of me that Karban, and I will forgive all, their forgive all their sins. A question. Yep. So, Abraham according to this, right, already understood that there is connection to the land. Heard from God, the like promise. A promise that his descendant will get the land. And he, the question that he had was not how they would get it, like what's the guarantee almost, because he understood that the Beit Mikdash will... Like, he, what? Is that like a nebuah that he had? That he knew she yebet mikdash, yada she ye korbanot, yada she ye korbanot, like he mechteru Yes. In other words, he understood that when God promises something, it's gonna happen. So let's go, naturally, naturally, if a person has a child, then they merit it to have a child. It's a fact. And by the laws of nature, unless something terrible happens, the child will have a child. In other words, having a child is like a one-time event. Basically, he didn't promise him something for the next generation. He, what Abraham is asking him for the next that, of That's it. That answers the question. In other words, it's not that he lacked faith. He had faith that he'll have a child, and he had faith that we will be gifted the land of Israel. That he had faith in. But he understood that remaining the owners of the land of Israel, the continual presence of the Jews in the land of Israel is something that every generation needs its own merit. It's not a one-time gift. And how right was he? There's something magical about Israel. This is, we're not talking about nature. We're talking about something beyond nature that, that living in the land of Israel demands for the people that live there to be worthy. And it's not, by the way, that if someone is unworthy, they are expelled immediately, but they get expelled. And what God told Avram Avinu is that the mitzvah of bringing a animal sacrifice—I'm not going to say animal—most of them were animal sacrifices—but karbanos are so important that in the merit of karbanos he can rest assured that we will, in the long run, be the owners of the land of Israel. There are certain halachic opinions that say that women are equally obligated like men to say the daily karbanos. More than they're obligated to say the Shema. The Shema is something that women are for sure not obligated to do. Of course they can do it. They can opt in. You're not uchoyev. You're obligated to say the Shema Na Esrei. If there's any part of the prayer beyond Shema Na Esrei that women are obligated to say, I know that last week and two weeks ago we spoke about the morning blessings. I'm not talking, I'm talking about the davening. Korbanis. Are women educated that way? I don't think so. I don't know think about it, that collectively, what gives us the koach to hold on to the land of Israel? The mitzvah of offering, or at least saying the seder of Karbonis. It's that important. What's the connection? I'll, I'll explain. You're talking about the land of Israel that we have today. The land of Israel that we have today. Okay. This is not to take away uh, the credit due to the government of Israel, and to the IDF forces, and God forbid, it's not one or the other. But it's not just about doing what's needed by the laws of nature, which is something that we're obligated to do. There's also the understanding that we have that unlike taking the possession of a house here in L.A., that if you somehow miraculously were gifted by God, the monies that you need, and you have the house. You, you have the house. Israel is not viewed that way. A person needs continuous merit to take to be in possession of. There's something about the land of Israel, and that merit is not from Torah, not from Mitzvah, It's from korbanos, dafke, dafke korbanos. All of that just begs the question: What's this concept of korbanos? What's the meaning of it? What's the meaning? And it, it is that important. And ultimately, why dafka to the land of Israel? But I want to speak about Korbanos, but I want to take a quick step back. And this is something that so many Hasidic discourses, including this week's uh, Lukuti Torah, speaks about beautifully. And I want to begin with the story. I know this is a theme that we have to hear again and again and again because we hear it and we don't take it in properly or deep enough. Every community is gifted with great people, great people in the context, people that are more disciplined over themselves, people that are more obedient, people that maybe naturally, let's say, are more spiritual. In the the previous generation, I'm talking about the Jews, the Russian Jews that were willing, mamish, to give up their lives to remain observant, mamish. There were giants. Those of us who come from the Russian Jewry, in the Holocaust, there was nothing you can do. Hitler was going to get you. In Russia, it wasn't that way. The Jews who became communists were spared biologically. They lost their soul. And on the other hand, people that would choose to go with a beard and to wear tzitzis and to keep kosher and to keep Shabbos, boy did they pay, oy did they pay. And it wasn't like a one-time thing. It was a 70-year thing. So it's a big thing, it's a big thing. They were giants, mammoth giants. So I want to speak about a Jew by the name of Zalman Moisha. Zalman Moisha was someone who was like a tzaddik, tzaddik type of Jew. I forgot the name of the city that he lived in. He lived in the Ukraine. Also, just to note that in Europe, in Europe, Ukraine was the most fertile country. The Jews of Russia would call the Ukraine the breadbasket of the world. There was so much tvoa, there was so much grain that they would export it to the whole world from there. The the failure of communism was so great, even though people don't realize it, like look at these cities, you see the failure, is that in the early 30s, because of the leadership of Stalin and the ideas of communism, there was a drought in the Ukraine and in the whole world. Can you imagine? In other words, the khurban that these ideas, I don't wanna talk about communism, what it brought into the world is, is that you went to the most fertile localities in the world, that with very little effort, you had an abundance of food. We don't know what it means to, I don't know hunger. I don't know hunger. My mother remembers hunger. She remembers in Samarkand, kids with swollen bellies, like you see pictures in Africa. Hunger, adults, we do not I don't know what it means to hunger. And this is not a one-time thing, this is for years, years of hunger. People die, even if they don't die immediately, they die, they, are mal, they, don't, they don't have enough nutrition, they get malnourished, or they die. People lay in bed and they die from lack of food. In 1930, now what worked is, is that whoever had a job within the communist system, which was very difficult for religious Jews because we keep Shabbos, the way the system was is that they gave you a ticket, and then with that ticket you would get on a line, you would be the whole day on line. And you would get bread and other staples that allowed you to survive. Zalman Moshe I forgot his last name. He was a big tzaddik of a Jew. He, for a period of time, was working in a place where it didn't conflict with Shabbos, so he kept his job. So he had the tickets. Zalman Moshe davened with a minion three times a day. Zalman, this guy also davened a little bit longer than everyone else. So it was normal in that city, it was a big city, when the minion was over, the last guy standing there was this Zalman Moshe. And this is the story. Zalman Moshe is sitting in Shul all by himself. Someone who by foot came from another village. He came to live because he was starving to death. He walked into Shul with a beard, with a yamlka. no one knew what his name is. He walked in there, he saw Zalman Moshe, and he said in Yiddish, he says, Rabbi ich hunger. Can you imagine a guy tells you, I'm dying from hunger, mamish. Now, the way it worked is that mamish, the lines for food, even people in my generation remember these lines. People spend the whole day online. line. Part of the Russian culture was you worked and someone else spend a line for meat. If there was meat, a line for bread. We called bread part of it, just to know how we called it, because the bread that they made was only flour and water. There was no cashless issue. The issue was that it was baked by a goy. The resolution was, is that you got the bread and you put it in the oven again. This is to live. There was no ingredients that are today because there was nothing other than flour and water. It was the cheapest bare minimum. Milk was more complicated for people that uh, adhere to Chal of Yisrael. In the bigger cities, the Yidin who had stickers, this was a big thing. We figured out how to get permission from the government to milk the cows ourselves whether this was in Kiev, I don't know where, or in Odessa, this was not one of the big uh, Yiddish cities. So whoever had stickers, they had bread and they had chalav Yisrael milk, which was a big deal. So this guy says a hundred. Now Zalma Moshe was a married man. You can go into the ethics of taking food away from your kids. He looked at that Jew and he told him, I'm going to give you. He asked him, how long are you here for? He says, I can be here for three weeks. Cholov was dangerous to travel. He says, for the next three weeks, I'll agree to give you half of my ration. It's like giving a guy a billion dollars. You're giving life, you're giving life away. But I have a condition. A condition. And this guy would agree to, he would sell his anything. He 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 says here's the condition. The bread, he says 50-50. The milk, now let me tell you milk, I know milk because in Brazil when I grew up there wasn't yet hall of Israel. By the way, the milk in Brazil now, I don't mind being recorded, they come in plastic bags, and you open them up, and you don't have to refrigerate them, and they stay fresh for a month, which probably means it's not milk, right? It's like pure poison. So that's, I don't know if it's more, it's called Chal of Yisrael poison. That's now. <laughs> when I grew up, there was, no, there was no packaged milk. So you had kosher milk, which is not kosher, because we go by not Chal of is it's not kosher. And then the Fruma people, there was enough Fruma people, twice a week, they would go to the farm, and they would come back with big, big canisters. Like you see this, like 10 times big canister of milk, not pasteurized, straight from the cow, milked by a sida shagai. And and we would cook them up. You cook it up, you pasture and it overflows, and your house stinks. And then the milk develops on top. This disgusting foam. Cream. This cream oh, nightmares, nightmares. And then when you pour <laughs> the milk, you have to have sifters. And and then the, this stuff went through the sifters. It's like a American trauma. This is a trauma the Chal of the Yisrael. So there was Chal of Yisrael. So they have Chal. now what happens is if you don't cook it, if you don't pasteurize it, if you let it sit, it begins to divide naturally. Butter. Oh, so so in Yiddish the buttery part which has the nutrients and the fats which we need is called smetana. Smetana. And the other part which is water is called mugad. Mugad means skinny. Curd and whey. Okay, curd and whey. I'm going to go to my smetana and mugad <laughs> because that's my I grew up on that. So listen to what this Jew tells him. Zalma Moesh is telling a stranger, the bread I'll divide 50-50 for the three weeks that you're here. But he had a very important thing he needed from him. He says, the milk I'm going to divide in half. But I'm going to take the owner, I'm going to take the smetana, the good, and I'm going to give you the magana. Who cares? This is life. One second. But after I do that, I need for you to tell me the following. Yeah, I'll tell you whatever you want. And I'm, t- I'm telling you mamish what he said. I know it's a little bit coarse. This was by a tzaddik of a Jew, a tzaddik. He says, tell me from your heart, you pig, what for you, you keep the fat and to me, you give the skinny? Shame on you. Who's saying that? Zalman Moisha is telling the stranger, I'm gonna make this division. Listen to the way. I'm gonna keep the fatty for me. I'm gonna give you the, the the less valuable. But I need for you then to tell me you hazard. Basically to insult him back. Yeah, you tell me to deride me, to admonish me. That how, how? What kind of person are you? What for you you keep the fat and to me you give the skinny? I'll do whatever you want. I'm dying from hunger. Good. The kids. Whenever it took like eight hours to get the afternoon, these people starved. They came back. Zalbam divided his bread with him. He divided the milk with him. That guy is going to wash. Zalbam says, no, we made a condition. You have to tell me. Okay. It's like saying, L'shem Yichud before Yadav. I'm like, what the? A... Okay. Do How dare you do that? And he told him, you know what? You're right. Let's exchange it. <laughs> and for three weeks, every day, every day, same shtick it wasn't a stick he took his bread he gave away half of his bread and he divided the milk he kept the good for him he gave the relatively inferior to the other and that guy needed to tell him you has it how do you do that what the good for you and the bad for me and then he would switch it this is a very important why is it, this is such a, a good story to hear no matter whether in yeshiva or whether hello you hear it later let me tell you the problem that we all have. This is the problem that we all have, and it has to be a dealt with, that that when, when a yid, we have a soul, and some people, whether they have a gift that they're more connected to their soul, or whether they had a parent that somehow figured out how to transmit it to them, or whether they did a big mitzvah, however this works, or whether it's this time of the year, when a Jew is connected to the godly soul, we, we, we are elevated, we become elevated, mamish. And we forget that we have an animal within us. And that's terrible, that's, that, that's terrible. It has a lot of negative consequences down the road, but it just makes us unwholesome people, fragmented people. And therefore, even when a person is flying in the heavens, like this Alamoisha, he really wanted someone to remind him that within every person, unless you become a real tzaddik, which is something very rare, not the way we throw out the word tzaddik, we have you know, the godly soul and we have an animal soul. We have the animal within us. And the only way we can dialogue with the animal is first to acknowledge, yeah, I have that in me. Most of us don't need the reminder, like the Zalman <laughs> because most of us are reminded the animal is very present. Even a person whose animal is not present or if you are Yom Kippur during the Elah, at that moment, person looks at themselves, they are self-aware and they see themselves flying in the world of Atsilus, which is beautiful only if you know that there is also the lower half, that there is every person has darkness and every person has a behemoth. And that word, has chazit, like it was a very coarse, like who even talks that way? If I would hear my kids call another person a chazid, I would reprimand them. Like, who talks that way? Dafka. He needed to hear that. We can only have a dialogue with our animal if we acknowledge that it's there. Or let me say the same thing in different words. Hashem made us by nature. Bethevah. Think about a home, and there are two people that have the key to the home, and each one cannot tolerate the stench of the other. That means when one enters, the other one is so allergic they run out. They'll never meet each other. And that's more or less the way God made all of us, that we have, a, we have us, let's say, let's say us is their consciousness, like the home, and when the godly is there, the animal runs away, can't take it, it's not there. And when the animal enters, it smells so bad that the godly soul leaves. My father, I'm just wondering, oh, his stories. Brazilians had the thing with the Portuguese, like he didn't have with Chelem. I don't know who the Americans make fun of, the Brazilians, Polish. Ha, the Polish. Polish. So my father says, anyway, it's a bad joke that they were about the about bad stench that there was a farm and how long can you tolerate the smell on the farm until the Portuguese went in there and then the animals ran out. That was their, like you can't, either, it's one or the other. It's one or the other, that's the way God made us. And the first step, The first step is to make sure that they are together. And that takes a lot of effort, that's not so simple. It humbles a person when they are flying in the heavens. And the good thing is, is that it doesn't allow the animal to drag you too far down because the godly soul hops it if they have a dialogue. So there is a downside and there is an upside. It grounds you when you are in the heavens. It does not allow you to fly too high, which is good. That's, that's so to say, the, 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 the price you pay. The, the benefit that you have is that when they are connected, one is able to influence the other. So that's step number one. Step number one is, is that every human being, and let's speak about Eden, has to, we have to remember that we have this within us. And that this within us, this darkness, is much darker than we acknowledge. Manish. So when God writes in the Ten Commandments, thou shall not murder, the person says, well, who's God talking to? Not to me, he's talking to you. Me? Yeah, yeah. It's not that we have to see that. It's not that we have to bring it up. We have to know that the potential is there for everything. And that will actually keep us more in check than making believe or ignoring the fact that we have that potential because then we're going to get into trouble. Then we're going to get into trouble Okay, now once we do that step that we we, we we keep these two together, then we have to begin creating a dialogue. You have to have a conversation. And the question is, how do you dialogue with your animal? When I say you, let me say the you is the godly soul. How does the godly soul converse with the animal soul? How does it work? Who knows? What's the shalom aleichem that you gotta say? We're friends are we they say like sometimes when you get along together you can work better together so you say shalom I'm your friend <laughs> so we're, we're not sh- enemies sh- you have to you know when you have to, a job to get to so it's let me oh, if you're on okay the same term, okay yeah? so so you're already a step ahead of me let me let me explain the challenge can I tell the challenge let's use a muscle and if anyone here is a teacher and you walk into a classroom and there's a kid that's so not interested that you're just not listening to you so you can say the words, I'm your friend, they won't even hear those words because they're checked out already. Or Whoever here has teenage children <laughs> at certain moments when there is some sort of natural conflict, they're not even listening to you. So what do you do? You tell them what you see, the emotion, the raw emotion. You repeat to them so um, where they're at. You acknowledge, yeah, acknowledge where they are. Okay. I see you. Okay, so like this. So what's the acknowledgement where you're at? Well, let me get even better. We don't have the same language. Let me go even, we don't, what's, the la- what's the language of the animal? That's the way to word the of question. The teenager, you mean? The, the language of the animal, what do you mean? Yeah, in other words, when I'm trying, I'm speaking out to my nefesh Bahamas. like, it, it's a different language. This this one, my my neshama speaks Yiddish, of course, or Hebrew, whatever the language. (laughs) And the Neveshah Muhammad doesn't understand Yiddish. So when I say language, I don't mean the language language. The Alter Rebbe says that the language, the language of the animal is vitality, highest, excitement, passion. That's its language. And the language of the godly soul is not that it's so elevated it's so idle, that it's very it's very soft it's very soft spoken very wise people are very soft spoken uh-huh. so that's a, so begin with that they, they don't and, and when you're speaking to someone like music right so if someone nebach became uh, habituated to associating music with something very noisy and loud, and they like it, then they hear they hear something idle. They're not going to listen, they're not going to listen, they're going to yawn. That's the issue. The issue is, is that the godly soul and the animal soul by nature have that gap that the godly soul is very lofty and silent, almost like, why don't we hear God? God is talking the whole time because God is speaking so silently that we have to know how to listen to the silence. That's why we don't listen. We're not hearing God, not because God God is talking the whole time, it's because we understand noise. We don't understand silence. Most people would get a headache when it's silent. So the first thing you have to do is, is that the animal soul has to learn how to get excited It has to come to the behemoth very excited. The excitement will make the animal pick up its head. Oh, what's happening? And then the next step is once it's listening, the godly has to convince the animal that my merchandise is as exciting as or even more exciting than your merchandise. And the the behemoth smart. People have pets. The animals are smart. And it's Emma's that whatever the godly soul is excited about, the animal soul will also get excited about. It is great. But in order for it to listen, the ineffesha, kiss, has to get excited. You have this expression that you can only fight fire with fire. There's a right time for this. There's a wrong time for this. In other words, the only way the godly soul... First of all, we have to acknowledge that there is an animal. If you're gonna make believe there's no animal, and by nature, the animal really hides, it lights being hidden, then forget about it. then all of this is in vain. First, it's there. And you don't have to make up an animal. You have to begin to become aware of what your animal is. The, the more you know, the more you are accomplishing step number one. Step number two is, is excitement. And the Altareb explains through this something some beautiful phenomena that mm-hmm. happened when we would bring sacrifices, when we will return to bring sacrifices in the temple. A miraculous phenomena, and that is, is that parts of the animal needed to mamash be burned on the altar. Now, the altar was around 15 feet tall. But it was very big. It was like 30, it was 28 amas, It was... It was um, I mean, it's like 40 feet by 40 feet. It was big, the platform. And on the platform, you had different pyres, different piles of wood, bigger ones, smaller ones. And the wood that we needed to, uh, to kindle was very flammable, needed to be, it was not allowed to be wet, it needed to be dewormed. And when this was a flame, whoever saw, let's say today we have like Lagboimer, the most people will see, it was like, wow. It was a flam fire when we would put an animal on it, one of the miracles that the Mishnah does not make mention of, but the Gemara speaks about it a lot, and Hasidis and Kabbalah speaks about it even more, is that we would witness, these are the words, a heavenly fire come down, and it would eat up whatever was placed on the, on the pyre. And not only that, you know, the fire readers, we would look into the fire and we would see either a lion that we spoke about a few weeks ago, the lion or a dog. In the context that if the fire took the form of a lion, that is a sign that Hashem is eating up my sacrifice willingly with pleasure. If there was some lack of kavana, no insult to all of the dog owners, but that's the way it is. If there was something in which I was lacking, if my desire, genuine desire of getting close to God was inferior was not wholesome then there would be a a, a heavenly fire but it would look like a dog so it meant god didn't want it meant that god it wasn't received with the same enthusiasm And, and can you imagine just think about there was no other mitzvah there is no other mitzvah that we were able to physically see god's reaction towards it how great is that now, Hashem is taking it regardless. That's the whole thing that halachically whether you have intent, whether you don't have intent, it's a lot better than nothing. It wasn't that if a person lacked Or whatever that means, there would not be a fire. God would take it. But God would want for us to see his reciprocation. I'm thinking that must have been a great experience. Is this a personal a, uh that a person gave or the Quran? Had person been? well, Qur'an brought it on my behalf the person stood there. yeah the person witnessed and, and and this is this is the ultimate you know reality check. Where am I? And also it's important because like I don't know myself. I can genuinely think that my Kavana was not good and it was and I'm sure a lot more in the other way around the person can think I did it L'shem Shama you know, I did it I did it with the right intentions and and God at that time can expect more of me however this works and god was like a personal reciprocation. It's imperfect. No, and many people would bring it again, bring another carbon, bring it deeper, but they would probably fabreng the whole night. I mean, that's called being reprimanded from God. Like, God, yeah, I take it, but I don't take it. I'll accept it, but I'm not accepting it with all my heart. Like, wow, only by a carbon. Now, what was brought on the altar was an animal. animal. Animal, 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 animal. Fire, 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 meaning chayes, something alive, unlike water. Water is very calming, and fire is very exciting. Yeah, go ahead, Mrs. Fishman. It was the fire that took the form of the the heavenly animals. fire. And they could tell whether the the words in Kabbalah, If the fire took the form of a lion, it was accepted. That it was. It, was it means best. that Hashem accepted with his with uh, with with gishmak. Hashem had pleasure from our from our uh, attempted connection. We're connecting to God, God is connecting to us. Beautiful. And that was the korban to that, or that? That was, was every world? time an individual brought a carbon, a carbon toy that was actually a communal carbon. And I wonder how that worked by communal carbonis, because then we're looking more at the community. It could be you yeah, had this collective. If the collective was more or less okay, it was aligned. If the collective needed improvement, maybe it took a different form. And for the korbanot daily, that it was um, not an animal, it was. There was also a form of I'm fire. sure there was, because the animals, all karba, not all of them, or well, even the even the flower, certainly the birds, were burnt on the altar. Same altar. So it was a fire, same altar, very good. So in other words, there's my fire and the heavenly fire. My fire meaning the animal fire. And korban chatat is also the same? Korban chatat is only individually, and yeah, sure was the same. So also they put it on the, on the altar? They put it on the altar, Came up. And we see what happened. Yeah, we see how great was my tshuva. It's not just chata, or carbon oil. A carbon oil is like a gift. Like am I am I bringing a gift? So so it begins. You have to first acknowledge the animal. And the way Chassidus says beautifully that in the davening, up until the blessings of Shema, we are basically speaking. We are thinking about how God is creating the universe and how, and nature. You know, when you want to get the animal excited, you begin by telling the animal that you love your life. You love your life. Life is nice. God is the source of your life. So why do not you connect to God? So you're not telling the animal negate your ego. You're telling him feel your ego. You like what you like. Good. Acknowledge that and acknowledge the one who's giving it to you. you no, know, you're speaking. You're, you're excited. You're not telling the animal to humble itself. You're telling the animal, "Who are you? You have feelings. You have desires. Amazing. Who gave that to you? Who's helping you fulfill that? You, 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 need to eat. Beautiful. Let's acknowledge that God is giving you the food, which is true." So if we bring it back to the teenagers, if he has a moment of anger or frustration or whatever, is, uh, I would say like this: anger is a bit toughy, but the, the, theoretically, I think, uh, I think for me to connect to the other, aside of the big words that I have to learn how to go into the other space, let's go deeper. If the other is, is frustrated, if they're gonna see that I also have my frustrations, will connect better. I'm more relatable. I'm speaking their language. Anger is not such a good feeling. Frustration is a very healthy feeling. Anger is, okay, let's go to anger. You tell a person you're not allowed to be angry, I don't know how they're going to listen to you. When you tell a person, I I understand anger, even though we're never supposed to get angry, the truth is that there were times, there are times that I get angry. In other words, if if you can go down to the level of the other, speak their language, that's the beginning. If you don't even get there, you're going to get nowhere. With, With our conversation, when you have a teenager in the house, God willing, You will know they're there, they will slam the door. See, inside of us, one mamish denies the other. (laughs) The biggest avoid I think that we have, at least for many people, is the capacity of knowing, you look at yourself and to see both, to hold both. And people don't do that. People are either here or they're there. And they go back and they go forth. And they're very kind and they're very cruel and the very giving and the very selfish, and it's always that way. And the very this and the very the opposite, and normally there's light and there's dark, and normally the greater the light, the greater the dark. The kind of the person, the more cruel the person, mamish. And it's so hidden that when they're here, and they don't know that that exists, and when they do something cruel, and then they come back, they won't even remember that they did it. They won't even be able to see how cruel they are, or how selfish they are. It's scary crazy, and the capacity to, to see what is, see, see, see what, what I have done, where did it come from, and to just become more aware, no, there's the godly, and there's the animal, there's the godly, and, and to keep them together, that's me, not this, not that, both, dafka. If, you, if, you, if you're ignoring one, everything is distorted, it's like you're living crooked. Number one. Number two, now that there's two that has to begin, you begin with a dialogue. And, and, and the dialogue will always have to be that the greater one is going to go down to the lower one. Don't expect for the lower one to go up to the greater one. The animal is not going to go to the godly. The godly goes to the animal. How? Through, high, through vitality, through passion. Excitement. excitement. In other words, there has to be, and there's godly excitement. There's godly excitement. But when a person is very ruchnizdik, they're not going to be excited. They're beyond that. They're going to be like, they're going to be connected to God. They're going to be in a very peaceful state. Peace does not, uh, um, not peacefulness is not attractive to the animal. Everything has exceptions, but as a rule, it has to be. So we want to connect to God. So first of all, is that we 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 bring to God our animal. We externalize our animal. Animals with all of the glory and disgust of the animal. That's it. And the animal has to get close to God. And we have to witness how there's a mingling of fires, fire and fire. There's our fire and then there's a conversation from a fire. It means God could have manifested in another way. God is manifesting with fire. He's telling us that that the connection between God and my mitzvah begins with fire. And fire would mean, without negating the animal, in the words of the Altarebbe, is that you have to first, not just acknowledge, but the the animal has to understand that its connection to God won't take anything away from it. The opposite. A big part of davening, many people until today, they daven, I'm going to give tzedakah because I'm going to get more money that's the first step in other words you're not denying the ego you're saying that you, whatever it is that you want God, God is the giver which is the truth so, so connect to Hashem and then whatever it is that you want you'll get more it begins that way another step another very important step and that's a big part of. so the first part of davening is speaking about nature which means our needs stuff that we want we tell the animal, listen, I'm gonna introduce you to the uh, it's to uncle Sam, I'm gonna introduce you to the wealthy uncle that's gonna write whatever the expression is. The next step is that you tell the animal, you, what are you excited about? You're excited about eating steak, Lamash. That's you're excited, you, you can't wait, you're gonna go here, you're gonna go this. Do you know that your Zayda, that your you're this, was excited about something else? Would you, when a person, Knows how many people when they hear if they have a half decent relationship with their parents and grandparents. We love hearing stories about them. I know what happened and what they did because we see a little bit of us in it. If we can relate to them, see what they did they went, da, 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 and that's what happened. I know parents for sure love telling stories about themselves to the kids, and the older they get, they repeat the same story again and again and again and again. And again so it's a universal debt. So the grandparent of the animal. The zaid of the animal are malachim. That's what angels are. Angel angels malachim are not these white fluffy winged calm creatures. Malachim are very excited. They're exciting beings. They're fiery beings. They're moving. They're coming. They're not uh, they're not intellectual beings at all. They are emotion, but all of their emotions it's towards God. That's, that's why in the prayers we say that the malachim that they say kadosh and they say baruch. And, 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 and if you think about what's going on over there, it's, it's very exciting what's going on over there. And there's noise, raj. There's music there. It's not calm. You mean up there? Up there in the higher worlds. And all of the animals are descendants of angels. Everything there has to manifest there. God's manifestation here is a Jewish neshama. That's pure godliness. Pure. Malachim are behemoth. That's why people love animals so much. Could be, and that's why they're called ch- Chayot Hakodesh. Ha- you know, you know, you know, Chayas, you know, there's behemoth, there's Chayot. You know the difference between them. What's a, what's a behemoth, what's a chayot? <coughs> I don't know. You know? <laughs> My, my father-in-law says that in Borough Park, someone was renting out an apartment. He wanted to make sure it's not too many kids. If you own land and you have a big Hasidic family, there'll be very little left of your apartment. So a family said they applied to have five kids. The owner was there when they moved in. He counted 10 kids, 10, not six. He says, listen, we signed the contract, but you tricked me. You wrote, there's five kids. He says, I only have five kids. The other five are animals. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a joke. In other words, ch- chayas, chayas means wild animals. Chayas means non-domesticated animals. Versus Wait, Behemah means a domesticated animal. A sheep is a behemoth. Sheep is a, a, a Sheep is a oh, very good. <gasps> chayas means wild. And you, you, oh. you, don't, wrong, you don't speak about Behemoth Because over there, the wild. The wild forgot. I would say that, that the most um, the experience that impressed me and almost all of my chaverim more than anything else was dancing with the Reb on Simchas Torah because it was wild. In other words, Yom Kippur different. There's different moments, different experiences, but there is this uh, surreal, calm, ruchniyizik experience, which is beautiful for the higher person. But what has the biggest impact is something, if you go into an environment, there was no place that was as wild as 770 in Simchas Teirah, doesn't exist. Wild, mad, mad, holy mad, holy wildness. I don't know about the girls, for Bahrim. this is the best medicine, because there is no, there is no excitement in this world that matched that, physically. Nothing, not that I saw the whole world, it can't, it can be. You can stomach go into this, uh, these, whatever they do, whatever, and people dancing. You have a few thousand people dancing for five or six hours, wildly. Mm-hmm. Whoever saw that pact? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 it lasted a year? It lasts a lifetime. You know, this this concept that the lower part needs excitement. If that's what they need. We're not talking about the teenager that's angry. We're speaking about the animal is an excited It's excited about Gashman. And the way you dialogue is to know that we have that, that there is an ego, and the ego is an exciting being. It's not dead. Now, how do explain, how to explain the depression? I think people are excited to get depressed. I'm not insulting the depressed people. There, there, is, there is some joy and pleasure, and uh, I'm benefiting from it. All emotional states on some level, the person on some level is opting there because there is a benefit. And the benefit brings you something that you find exciting. Mm-hmm. Rabbi, but where, do, where do you draw the line of the joy of the animal soul? Example, Simchat Torah. I'm sure Simchat Torah with the Rebbe yes. is very different than yes. without the Rebbe. Very but dangerous. last year and I would don't want to be again in my mm-hmm. life there because I felt embarrassment. Uh-huh. It's a, it was like a techno party, you know? The vomiting and the extra, extra, extra... And the X, so where, where is the I I don't I I, I I wanna say that you're saying something very important. I, some Before areas. we get to reputation, I just want to go to okay. the experience. That I was never there after that ever physically is not here. Okay. And I'm afraid to go there because I don't want my memory to be tainted and I'm afraid of exactly what you're saying. Don't go. Okay? <laughs> Fine, I wouldn't go anyways. I'm here, I'm married here, I'm gonna I'm here and I'm here in the shul But but let me tell you, when the Bible was there, this, this combination, this is what I'm talking about, that, that there was Kedusha, and there was a certain wild, wild joy, that that's the ultimate dialogue between the godly and the animal. You're excited, I'm excited, but I'm excited about God, and the animal gets excited also. What do you mean by wild? What was the wild holiness? Wild holiness is bringing sacrifices in the temple. You're saying wild holiness is... The, the wild dead. holiness is is un, uncontained dancing in which a person is tapped into not God forbid la drugs or anything. There was no mashke when I was there. There was no there wasn't there wasn't that there wasn't it was it was you, you, we became intoxicated from joy. I am tell you that's my that's my memory year after year intoxicated on joy and 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 the energy means the amount of of walking that we did and this you would think that the body would would, would get tired we didn't get tired. We got tired for three weeks. Later, we got tired. But while we were in there, I don't know. Everyone experienced something. When the Rebbe was in the room, nothing like it. Nothing like that. The Rebbe was in the room for two hours. It was nothing like it. What can I tell you? More than anything else, because of this. And and that is all. The the Golusdeke experience compared to Karbanos. Dafke Korbaniyos, and it's 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 good to have that people have this image about the base Hamigdash about the you know there's the, yeah whoever went to Ohai, ever went to the Buddha Mountain over there on top, and there's such a beautiful walk and it's so ruchni as they it's the opposite of that. In other words, you have the association of spirituality, of something very serene and beautiful. The base Amigdash was very happening. Think about an environment where you have 100,000 animals. Just think about you being there with a million people. Just think about that. That that is what God wants, because this gives me the koyach to talk to my animal. Masha Enke, in contrast, if my godly experience will be going into a place and everything is very perfect and calm and this and that, and I'll have a high experience, it's great. I'm not talking to my animal. So let me come back over here. When, when, when God told Avraham Avino, you're going to get the land of Israel. You're going to have children that will get the land of Israel. He believed in God. He believed he'll have a child and he'll, he believe that he'll, that he'll conquer it. But to be, remain connected to the land, how do I connect to the I'm not talking about exile in a bad way. How do we remain connected to the lower part of this world? Through using passion for holiness. Through using excitement. The animal represents excitement. Every time you see someone seeing a dog, what do they do? What's the minig? Ah, they get happy. That's the minig over here. It brings out a certain happiness. And that's just by walking a dog. Imagine if you would be walking, an ox, an ox. Everyone would smile here. You would be frela. You'd be happy. It would be like, wow. That, and that, wow, in a mitzvah, that's the ultimate goal. You're saying tzaddikim don't necessarily get so excited by your passions. Or tzaddikim, tzaddikim, tzaddikim don't have a tzaddik, real, real, real tzaddikim, but don't have an animal. It's a whole different thing. It's not shaykh. It's not so, a goal. No, no. It's, yeah, it's not. A good goal. We're not meant to get there. We're meant to have both. We're meant to experience both and to create the connection. And the connection in a way where the godly, um, what's it called? They, um, oh. We chop the animal, use all of what you have to God. Dancing with the Rebbe, that, that, that's the ultimate. And that means I'm connected to the earth. Not that I'm connected to God on the heaven. I'm connected to God on the earth. Korbonos, Beis Amigdash. Beis Amigdash is going to be the happiest, wildest, wildest place in the world. But what do they call um, over here, the, the amusement parks, the happiest place in the world? That's the Beis Amigdash. The happiest place. Not the holiest place, the happiest place. It's going to be pure freilachkeit. People getting together and eating, fabrenging, singing. Women gave karbonas? Sure, women gave karbonas. Women gave a lot of Mm karbonas. It was an experience. Just think think about it. Make it real. It's going to happen. It can happen now. It can happen today. And next week, we'll be reading karbonas. Just understand what you're looking forward to Like when you go to the Kaisel. Just think about that. It's it's happy. It's happening. It's happening. It's noisy. It's not a quiet. Yeah. Someone was telling me yesterday. I don't know how this like plays in it. Um, the natural energy of our soul is actually joy. Oh. It's not like the spirits. Like joy is not. But but that's our natural state. I would I, I would say that's the animal soul. I would agree with that. <laughs> and let me let me say in contrast in contrast <laughs> your words just words that the natural state. Of the godly soul, is so selfless, so selfless that you cannot label any. You don't. It's it's a non-experience. Joy is an experience. Joy is an experience. The godly soul doesn't have an experience. (laughs) It's non-experience experience. experience. The ultimate nothingness. That's the godly soul. Only God. Say that one again. Godly experience is. There's no experience. I think you can't feel it. No, no, you can't feel it because there's no self. What we can have right now is that there are certain moments that, when we look back and we say, "Wow, I was completely—I uh, forgot about myself for ten minutes." Mm-hmm. That's the closest we get to the godly soul. There's no, there's no Yeshus. that's that's when, when people sometimes when you're not hungry, thats that exactly. And Simchas mm-hmm. is you're hungry and you're eating, but it's a mitzvah. It's very different. Mm-hmm. And it's important, it's important to dialogue. And the more a person knows their animal, the that that's the conversation. That's the feeling that the godly soul has to come and say here. This feeling could be used to God. Then we connect it. Then we connect it to the earthiness. We merit the land of Israel because of karbanis. Good.